One of the lines in that song says, From Prayer to Praise. And for our teaching time in Psalm 40, if you'll turn in your Bibles, we are actually going to go from praise to prayer. This is actually the theme of Psalm 40. If you want to outline this particular psalm, you could say that the first ten verses are praise, and then verses 11 to 17 are prayer. Praise and prayer. And you know, the Bible clearly presents to us that one of the main responses of men and women who love God and who are controlled by His Spirit is to sing praises to Him. That's just what we've done, right? That's just natural for us. That's as every part of breathing in the human world, so we as Christians sing our praise. And that's what the Bible teaches. For instance, Paul's letters to both the Ephesians and the Colossians bear this out. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now these are very, very familiar words to you, but I think they bear repeating for us in the context of Psalm 40, singing a new song of praise. That's the title of the message tonight. And in Ephesians chapter 5, you of course are undoubtedly very, very familiar with verses 18 to 20 of Ephesians chapter 5. This is, this is how and this is the function of praising God because you're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled or be controlled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is spiritual breathing for the Christian to praise God, to sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and it is because, Paul says here in Ephesians 5, that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that when you're controlled by the Spirit, you are prompted very naturally and very normally, that is supernaturally, because you're now a Christian, to praise God. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is another result uh, in this passage of the same idea. You're filled with the Spirit, In this case, filled with the Word, and when you are filled with the Word of God, you want to sing. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 16, for instance. Whereas this twin epistle of the book of Ephesians says to be filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3 says, be filled with the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, according to Ephesians 5, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll want to sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. According to Colossians 3, if you're filled with the Word, if it's dwelling in you richly, and by the way, uh, both of those contexts are speaking not just to individuals, but for the whole church, right? So if you're the church of Jesus Christ, you're both filled with the Spirit and you're filled with the Word, and when that happens, the most natural thing, spiritually speaking, is to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's to praise God. God. It's to praise God for everything, giving thanks for everything. And to do so, it says here in Colossians 3, with or in all wisdom. Well, did you realize that one of the greatest wisdom books of the Old Testament, and that is what it is called when you separate out the Old Testament into the history or the writings or the prophets or the wisdom literature, you find the book of Psalms and you say to yourself from the book of Psalms, This is wisdom literature. So now turn back to Psalm 40. And if you turn back to Psalm 40, 
This is a psalm, as are all the psalms, that is called wisdom literature and for which David is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words to sing. Because this is God's inspired word. This is Psalm 40, inspired by the Holy Spirit are David's words. And because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and because this is the wisdom of the Word of God, this is one of those psalms that ought to be sung. These are one of the psalms that ought to be prayed. And this is a psalm that ought to be understood. And so let's understand this tonight. What does David say? Well, for instance, look at verse 3. He says, just like Ephesians 5 and just like Colossians 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's tantamount to saying what Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 are saying, and that is, it's the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, it's the Spirit-inspired Psalms, and David says here, he's put a song in my mouth. It's as though David is saying, this wisdom, all of this wisdom that I've been given, all of this Holy Spirit-inspired psalmody is motivating me to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what he, in essence, is saying. And the comprehensive wisdom of the Spirit in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, and now here with Psalm 40, gives us a song of praise to sing to Yahweh. Let's look at these first 10 verses together. I'm going to go really quickly, but here's what I'm going to give you. The uh, outline point would be something like this. David's new song of praise to Yahweh. David's new song of praise to Yahweh. And that's what's contained in the first 10 verses. And as I see them, I see various ways in which King David praises God. And I see seven reasons, seven reasons for such praise, which are given to us in verses 1 to 10. So if you have a pen, you better be ready to write, all right? Because there are seven ways to praise God according to Psalm 40, verses 1 to 10. And here they are. Here's number one. Praise for a God of answered prayer. Praise for a God of answered prayer. Look at Psalm 40, verse 1. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, while we don't know exactly what David's particular need that was here described, we do know this. David says, Yahweh heard my prayer and he answered my prayer. And for this, David was praising God. You ever had the experience of answered prayer? I sure hope so. And what do you do after you praise God? Do you pray? And what do you do after you pray? Do you praise God? You see, that's what David is doing in Psalm 40. He praises God, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and then he prays. And then from verses 11 to 17, as he prays, he praises God. That's why prayer and praise go together. And the first thing to do in praising your God is to pray to Him and to praise Him for answered prayer. And that's what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my prayer. And by the way, the verbal idea here, I waited patiently for the Lord, that means, because of the verb tense, the idea is, I persistently prayed. That's the context. Not necessarily the the verb tense, but the context and the particular involvement with that particular idea of praising God through his prayer, but persistently praying and asking God for answered prayer. And our prayer answering God is to be honored because he is inclining his ear to us. I mean, think about that. The creator of the universe is actually stooping to bend to hear our cry. This 
is, this is that God who created all the worlds, who, who is infinitely greater than we are. And yet here's little old us. And we persistently, consistently pray, maybe for one or two particular things at any point in our lives, and maybe they are really, really incredible prayer burdens. And whatever David has here, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. Whatever that was, the God of the heavens took time to hear David's prayer. What an incredible thing that the creator of the universe bends his ear to hear our requests. Do you praise him for that? Do you praise God for answered prayer? Now, persistence and patience in, in prayer is certainly something that can be tiresome. You can ask the Lord, you can ask the Lord, you can do it every day. You're in a context where maybe you don't seem to hear those answers from Him, and you might become fatigued. But the bottom line is, if you praise God for answered prayer, you're like David. He inclined his heart to me and heard my cry. Praise God for answered prayer. Number two. Number two. Praise for a God who delivers from trouble. Praise for a God who delivers from from trouble. Look at verse 2. Whatever this challenge was, spiritual or physical, here's what David says. He drew me up, God drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I mean, this is this is an incredible answer to prayer. Whatever this was, maybe this was David involved in physical battle, right? He's the king. He's leading the charge. His men, some of them are giving up their lives for the sake of the protection of Israel. David is leading them, and maybe they're not doing well in battle, and maybe he cries out to Yahweh, and he's persistently crying out, and he's asking for help. He's asking for protection. He's pleading to God for it. And maybe this great God of the universe in that moment of great prayer wondering for David, he bends his ear and he hears David's cry and he lifts David out from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. Maybe this is physical. Perhaps it is. Or maybe this is spiritual. Maybe this is a spiritual need. By the way, when it says out of the miry bog, have you ever read The Pilgrim's Progress? It talks about the miry bog. It talks about the pit of destruction. And David says here, you have set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So whatever this is, David says, I'm in deep, deep trouble. And I'm praising you for lifting me up out of it, setting my feet upon a rock, and making my steps secure. You had that situation in your life? Whether the circumstance is either physical or spiritual or maybe even both, do you pray or complain? Is it a prayer of request or a complaint for God to give you an answer? David repeatedly and urgently made this request before God and he was heard and he was delivered and he saw his feet set upon a rock. And by the way, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that in those wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel over those 40 years, when they received water from the rock, Paul says, and the rock was Christ. You're asking God for help. For us, we ask Christ and through Christ to the Father for help. Make my feet secure. Bring my security. Give me a song of deliverance. And that's the third point. Look at verses 3 and 4. We ought to praise God, a God we can trust. Praise for a God you can trust. Look at verse 3. Because he was lifted out of that miry bog, David says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. This isn't the first time where David speaks of singing praises to God. You remember Psalm 33? It says in verses 1 to 3 there, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Remember Psalm 50, the very last psalm in the Psalter? And it says, praise the Lord with loud cymbals. In other words, it's tantamount to you and I asking for loud cymbals because we want to give loud praises to Him. And here David says, I want to sing this song of praise, this new song in my mouth. Why does he call it a new song? I think he calls it a new song because he had a new deliverance. Every time you get a deliverance from the Lord, every time the Lord gives you an answer to prayer, whether you have some physical issue or spiritual issue or both, and you cry out to the Lord, and you're persistent in your prayer life to Him, and He bends His ear to accommodate your cry, and He answers that through His grace, and you respond. How do you respond? You respond with a new song. It's a new song because it's a new deliverance. And because David experienced deliverance from the Lord, he went to the house of the Lord, and he was with other worshipers, and he sang about this deliverance, and he did so with reverence and trust in their God. And notice what he says here. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then this statement, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Now, it's interesting the way this is written. Read it again. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. How come it doesn't say, blessed is the man who trusts the Lord? Well, you say that's because it's already said that. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's true. The first statement is what we might call a statement of subjectivity, right? I'm the subject. And what I'm to do is to fear the Lord and to see the Lord's deliverance. And when I do, I put subjectively my trust in the Lord. So that's a subjective trust, right? When I put my faith in Christ for salvation years ago, when the Lord saved me, it was because the Lord gave me the gift of faith and I put my trust in the Lord. Subjectively, I trusted Christ. Guess what that next verse is really saying? Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. That's objective. Subjectively, you put your trust in the Lord. Objectively, the Lord can be trusted. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to say something like this. Well, if I put my trust in Him, if I give my all to them, if I entrust my entire life to Him, if I'm totally dependent upon Him, can He be trusted? And David says, if you see and reverence God and put your trust in the Lord, I promise you on the authority of God's word, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Because the Lord can be trusted. The Lord will honor his word. And the opposite of such trust in the Lord is someone who's proud Someone who doesn't trust in the proud man to those who go astray after a lie. What does he mean by that? Well, maybe it's tantamount to Romans chapter 1. Turn over there with me, Romans chapter 1. You will see in Romans chapter 1 that there are actually people who are so proud and so arrogant and so boastful that they're not putting their trust in the Lord. They're actually putting trust in everything else but the Lord. And this may be what what David is saying. Maybe Paul even had David's Psalm 40 in mind when he said this. Romans chapter 1, 4, verse 21, 
Although they, that is mankind, creation, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. That means they did not put their trust in that God. They didn't put their trust in the Lord. And because of that, they also did not give thanks to Him. They didn't praise Him like David's doing. They didn't praise Him. They didn't put their trust in Him. And as a result, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, why is it, Paul? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. You see, that's That's what David's saying here. Don't put your trust in the proud. Don't turn to the proud, to those who go astray after the lie. Put your trust only in the Lord. As I said at the beginning, singing to God, our praise is the natural, normal expression of worship for all the ways that you and I have been delivered out of trouble. And that's why we give thanks. That's why we thank God. That's why we revere Him. That's why we serve and worship the Creator rather than the creature. That's why our trust is in the Lord. Praise God for trusting in God because God can be trusted. Number four. Number four. Praise for a God of thoughts and deeds toward us. That's that's how you ought to praise God. Praise for a God of thoughts and deeds toward us. Look at verse 5. David says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, Yahweh my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. You've multiplied them. Blessing after blessing after blessing have been multiplied untold numbers of blessings. You say, how so? Think about it this way. You get in your car to come to church. You get in your car to go to work. Whether it's a short trip or you take a vacation trip and you're traveling a long distance. And do you know that that which is probably totally unknown to us are the manifold providences of God that prevent us from a crash, right? Another example. You and I might be in a position financially where we don't have all the money in the world or we're maybe not like others who have no money at all. Maybe we're somewhere in the middle and untold numbers of providential blessings come our way at times when we so desperately financially need it. I mean, just, just multiply all those. Safety, from a crash, financial improvement, a gift, a blessing, the fellowship of God's people, answered prayers, study of the Scripture, a wonderful home to live in, children for whom we can enjoy, the blessing of wisdom from others. I mean, just go through it over, multiplied, In so many ways you have multiplied, O Yahweh my God, your wondrous deeds, and, he says, your thoughts toward us. Now go back to that idea that I said a moment ago. You realize that the the creator of the universe is choosing to think about little old us? You're, You're thinking about me? You know how often people can become so lonely? They think that nobody cares about them. They think that nobody's watching. They think that nobody has regard for them. The Bible says right here in Psalm 40, verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. He's thinking about you. His thoughts are to you. And it's not just random thoughts. God doesn't have any random thoughts. When it says 
that he multiplies his thoughts toward you, it means something like this. He has eternal multiplied regard for you. He regards you. He loves you. He he wants to, to minister to you. No wonder, David says in the next line, none can compare with you. None can compare with you. And then he says, I will proclaim and tell of them all these multiplied deeds and thoughts, yet they are more than can be told. Too many to number. Too many to articulate. You know, I'm convinced that so many people, Christian people now, so many Christian people struggle in their heart attitudes, grumbling, complaining, questioning, wondering about themselves, about their lives, about people around them, about their ideas of success and hope. And I think it is precisely because they are failing to see the multiplied deeds and thoughts of God toward them. I think it's tantamount to saying, be thankful. Think of God's blessings in your life. Think far more about His blessings than the things you don't have. Consider the things that you do have. And when you do, God delights in our praise of Him as we recount all these things because He has multiplied deeds and thoughts toward us. That's why Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed, say so. You, You are a person who is blessed beyond measure. Psalm 105.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. That's what David's saying here. Your wondrous deeds, your thoughts toward me are multiplied. I, I can't even number them and tell all of the brethren. Here's the next one. Praise for a God who wants our heart-involved worship. Praise for a God who wants our heart-involved worship. Verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. What? In, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted? Wait a minute. The Old Testament is filled with commands to bring sacrifices to the Lord, right? I mean, over and over and over again. You look at the book of Leviticus, for example, and if you read Leviticus all the way through, you're seeing about all of these sacrifice offerings, all of these these votive offerings, uh, all of these offerings of this and that, and libation offerings. I mean, of course he's delighting in all of that. Yes and no. Yes, he commands it. But if someone is only going through the motions when they do it, He takes no regard of it. Do you know what Jesus said, quoting the book of Isaiah, to the religious leaders of His day? He said, This people, referring to those religious leaders, they worship Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. That's what He's talking about. Notice verse 6 again. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted but you have given me an open ear. I'm listening for the right kind of sacrifice to be offered, and here's the right kind. That I do it, of course, yes, with my hands, but I'm also doing it with my whole heart. That's what he's saying. Bird offering and sin offering you have not required. That is, you've not required it with an empty heart, but you are requiring it with a heart of gratitude. The sincerity of your offering. That's what he's talking about. The Bible throughout, my friends, is very, very clear about not worshiping God in any form without the worshiper giving God their praise from the heart. That's what he's asking for. No, not just asking. That's what he's requiring. He's requiring. Look over at Psalm 50. Psalm 50. This is what he requires. You might write... Psalm 50, verses 7 to 14, in the margin there next to Psalm 40, verse 6. This is what Psalm 50, beginning in verse 7, says. 
Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. In other words, you are bringing them before me. You are doing what I'm commanding in a sense. Verse 9, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God, here it is, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. In other words, when you bring mechanically and with insincerity your offering to me, I won't have it. Oh, you're doing it on earth and you're going through the motions and it's physically occurring. But when it's not being done by the heart, insincerity of truth and for the sake of praising God, it's just smoke going up in the air. But when your heart is in it, that smoke rises And the waftings of that smoke rise into the very nostrils of God, and He's pleased. You're worshiping Him. You're praising Him. That is precisely why Psalm 51 says this. This is so wonderful. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is is what God requires, the sacrifices of a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That's that's how to praise God. That's what He's talking about. And here's yet another. Look at verses 7 and 8. Praise a God who commands our obedience to His Word. This is is fantastic. Look at verses 7 and 8. Then I said... This is David speaking, but it goes far beyond David. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of, or concerning me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. You know what he's saying? If you're in verses 7 and 8 and you tie that to verse 6, When he says, here's what I'm after, I'm after a broken and a contrite heart, I'm after someone who's offering me sacrifices with a heart intent to worship, and then he says, here's what God requires, in the scroll of the book it is written of or concerning me, I delight to do your will, O my God. That's what a worshiper does, whether it's an Old Testament worshiper or a New Testament worshiper. You want to come before your God. You want to thank Him for His great salvation. And you want to offer a sacrifice of praise. That's what Hebrews 13 says. Offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You want a willing heart that says, I delight to do your will, O God. God doesn't delight in someone coming and saying, I'm not so sure about doing your will. Or, I don't want to do your will. Instead, God asks for us precisely what He asked for Jesus. Because do you know that in Psalm 40, verses 6, 7, and 8, that that's used in the New Testament about Jesus Christ Himself? He's the personification of the perfection of Psalm 46 to 8. You say, how so? Well, I want you to notice something. Then I said, Psalm 40, verse 7, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of, or it is concerning me. Just take that first phrase, and then we'll take the next phrase. Look over in your Bibles at Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. This is how the two Testaments come together. This is how Psalm 40 is lived out in the life of Christ. Look at Luke 24. Luke 24. This is is how Jesus 
was able to tell those two men on the road to Emmaus about himself. Do you know that in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, the Bible says this, Luke 24, verse 27. You remember these two men were on the road to Emmaus, and they were walking back from Jerusalem, and Jesus started walking along with them. I mean, what an incredible journey that must have been. And Jesus said, where are you guys going? Where are you headed? And they say, well, did you not hear what happened? Did you not hear what's happening in these days in Jerusalem? And then they tell him about himself and how there was this crucifixion and, and oh, this is, this is the most terrible thing. And, and now we're forlorn. And he says in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What prophets? Where? Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, notice this, the things concerning himself. That's Psalm 40, verse 7. In the scroll of the book, do you know what the scroll of the book means? The Old Testament scripture. In the Old Testament scripture, I want to tell you the things concerning myself. Jesus is saying, if you would have looked back to For instance, the wisdom literature in the Psalms to Psalm 40, verse 7, it's concerning me. That's what he says. Look at verse 44 of Luke 24. He says the same thing, that everything written about me or concerning me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and notice this, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is the fulfillment of, This is Jesus coming on the scene. And he tells these these two disciples, Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple, if you would have just read the scroll, it's all about me. It's concerning me. No wonder Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 31, these words, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I'm doing the Lord's will. And how is He doing it? By delight. I delight to do your will. He says the same thing in John 5.30. I delight to do your will. He says in John 5.39, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you don't understand. You search the scriptures to see about whether all of these things are so, and I'm telling you, they are a fulfillment about me. And then Hebrews 10. Go in your Bibles to Hebrews 10. This is explicit. This is precisely where this passage in Psalm 40 is quoted in full. Hebrews 10. This is is amazing. Look at verse 5. Start in verse 5. Now keep Psalm 40 in your minds. Keep Psalm 40, verses 6, 7, and 8 in your minds. And listen to Hebrews 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, that's His incarnation, He said, and this is a direct quote out of Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. You say, wait a minute, I thought Psalm 40 says that you gave me an ear, that is, an ear to listen. Well, the ear is a shorthand way of talking about a body. And you, Jesus said, have given me an incarnational body which is prepared to be the ultimate sacrifice. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus talking to the Father, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Isn't that amazing? This is talking about Christ. Verse 8, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, that is the, the old covenant law, in order to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, 
by Jesus Christ delighting to do the will of God, by going to the cross and by dying for sinners, by that will and by Christ delighting in that will, we, as New Covenant believers, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, my friends, that's why Psalm 40 is so important to us. And that's why we ought to praise God for His Word the scroll of the book. Praise God for the Bible. Praise God for the Word of God and our obedience to it. And praise God above all things that Jesus Christ was the most obedient person who delighted to do God's will. Praise God for that. Here's another one. Look at verses 9 and 10. Praise a God who calls upon His people to praise Him in the great congregation. Praise a God who calls upon His people to praise Him in the great congregation. Here's David. David is saying, I can't keep all of these wondrous deeds and these wondrous thoughts that God has regarded me. I can't keep them to myself. I can't do it. I have to go to the house of God, and I have to tell all the other worshipers what God has done for me. And so that's verses 9 and 10. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David says, I marched right into the house of God and with the great congregation, I started just just sentence by sentence by sentence by sentence telling the congregation all the ways that God's been good to me. And how has God been good to me? Notice what he says. I've spoken of your faithfulness. That's another way of speaking about truth. I've spoken of your truth. He says, I've spoken of your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love. I've not concealed your faithfulness. He's he's going through the attributes of God. And he's saying, congregation, listen. And David, remember, he's not the priest. He's the king. But the king comes into the great congregation and he tells everybody there, I want you to know God is true. God is faithful. God has steadfast love. God has delivered me. And I'm going to shout it. And I'm going to tell you these wondrous deeds and these wondrous thoughts. They're so numerous. I can't tell you all of them. Therefore, we must praise God. We have to praise God. I mean, what I've just given you are seven ways to praise God. Seven ways to praise God. And tonight when we come for corporate prayer, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to praise God in these seven ways. We're going to just pray these psalms, these psalm verses right back to the Lord. But before we do, I want you to notice David's new request of prayer to Yahweh. If he has a new song in his mouth and he's going to sing these new songs of praise to Yahweh, he's also going to pray, uh, praise, he's also going to pray, and here's what he does. He praises seven times, and then he turns around and he says, And, by the way, I've also got continued needs for which I'll continue to pray. And this is what he does. Look at verse 11. I see seven more requests here. Here's a prayer request for God's continued mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness. That's verse 11. Verse 11. What does Psalm 40 verse 11 say? As for you, O Lord, this is his prayer. As for you, O Lord, he's talking directly to Yahweh, You will not restrain your mercy from me, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. You know what he's saying? Lord, I'm praising you that you've done it for me countless numbers of times, but I'm praying that you'll do it even more. I pray that you won't give up extending mercy to me, extending steadfast love to me, extending faithfulness to me, so that I may be continually preserved. That's a prayer request. And you know, God delights in such a thing. Our God never says something like this. How many times are you going to come to me for deliverance? How many times are you going to ask for mercy? 
Is it ever going to end your requests for steadfast love? Never, not once. Because the more we ask and the more He supplies is the more we praise Him and the more we turn it into prayers for even more. That's why He delights in our praise and He delights in our continued prayer requests. He wants us to come to Him and He wants us to request from Him continued mercy, continued steadfast love, continued faithfulness. Verse 12, here's another prayer request for God's continued forgiveness of sins of us. Just like Psalm 39 that we studied, just like Psalm 6, Psalm 32, these are all penitential psalms. David's confessing his sin, and when he does so, he asks God to forgive him. Look at verse 12. This is what he says. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He's just just being honest with the Lord. You know that you and I, as sinners, while we go to God for the forgiveness of sins, we must go to Him repeatedly for such. We've got to be honest with Him. Lord, I blew it again today. I sinned again today. And here's how I sinned. And here's my fault. And here's my failure. And Lord, it seems like every time I'm telling you these things, it's more than the numbers on my head. I, I want your forgiveness. My heart fails me. I'm coming to you again. And, and someone's going to say, wait a minute. How can the same guy, David, say this? And at the same time, he's saying, praise you, praise you, praise you. What a hypocrite. You know what? If that's so, we're all hypocrites. Because we're commanded to praise. And we're commanded to confess our sins. And we need to do it. And we should do it. And when we do it, it causes us to praise. And when it causes us to praise, it turns right around and cycles us to confess again. And that's what he's doing. Here's another prayer request for deliverance and trouble. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Can you hear the pathos in his voice? Help me, Lord, deliver me. And again, someone's going to say, wait a minute. If this is the same guy that wrote this one psalm, he's already been praising God for deliverance in verse 2. Guess what? I'm going to need deliverance yesterday and today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. So he's praising God for having been delivered and he prays to God for more deliverance. And that's legitimate. Here's another one. Here's another prayer request. The fourth one. A prayer request for God's destruction of Israel's enemies. Look at verses 14 and 15. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Like we gotcha! And so David prays. And when he prays, he says, Lord... I praise you and I pray to you that once again you deliver us from the hand of our enemies. And maybe because of what he says here in verses 14 and 15, maybe that's what he's describing in verse 2 about the miry bog. Maybe it was physical. And maybe it was the physical challenge of war. Lord, I'm asking you to deal with not just our enemies, the enemies of Israel, your enemies. They're your enemies because they don't want to praise you and they want to conscript us to praise their God. And we won't do it. And so we're asking you to answer this prayer. We're the apple of your eye. Please help us. That's a legitimate prayer request. Here's another one. Prayer request for God to be seen as the great Lord of the world. Look at verse 16. Praise God for who He is and pray continually that we will 
continue to say such a thing about him. Verse 16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. David prays to God and and he says to all the people surrounding him, let's rejoice and let's be glad in all of God's great deeds, including those who love God's deliverance, the deliverance of his people so that they would continue forever and a day to affirm His greatness. That's a wonderful prayer request. God, show yourself strong. Show yourself mighty. Show yourself great. And then verse 17, the first part of it. Here's another prayer request. Prayer request for God to continue to think of and regard His poor and needy people. Look at what He says in the first part of verse 17. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. There's that idea again. The Lord's thinking about you. The Lord takes thought for you. And why? Because David's like us. We're poor and needy. We're poor and needy. We need help. We're constantly in need of help. Who thinks about himself that he's sufficient? We're all in need. We're all poor and needy in so many ways. And so David is praying and he says, Lord, thank you for thinking about me. Thank you for considering me. Thank you for regarding me. And then the last prayer request, the latter part of verse 17. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Do not delay. You're my deliverer. Please do it again. You could say it like this. This is a prayer request for God to speedily assist and deliver His needy people. God, would you come to me and do it quickly? You know, that's the prayer for patience. Lord, give me patience, but hurry! (laughs) Hurry! You know what Psalm 40 is? Seven praises, seven prayer requests. That's what it is. And when we praise Him, as David does here, in these seven ways, and when we come to Him with these seven prayer requests, He always listens. He delights in our praise, and He delights in answering our prayers. Let's go to Him now. Heavenly Father, thank You for giving us instruction tonight from Your Word, for the opportunity to both praise You and pray to You. To come to You with our heart of praise and worship and adoration. To give You our thankfulness and our gratitude. And then to come right back at the same time and ask You to continue to answer our prayers. In all of these ways, praise and prayer prayer and praise. They're the essence of what we're supposed to do as Christians. And may we do so now for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.